Hi, everyone, and welcome to the BrainBase podcast, where we have quick conversations with industry leaders about how technology is impacting the future of brands, partnerships, licensing, and IP. I'm Greg Holtzman, BrainBase's Director of Partnership Marketing and Communications, and I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Laura Takaragawa. Laura has more than 25 years of experience in consumer products across a variety of industries such as fashion, toy, entertainment, and lifestyle brands. She served as Vice President of Licensing for Sanrio, Vice President of Licensing for National Geographic, and Head of Global Licensing for Netflix, where she was responsible for all hard and soft lines, licensed categories, and collaborations for hit titles like Stranger Things, Money Heist, which is one of my personal favorites, and The Witcher. She has also worked for Disney, Guest Jeans, and Mattel in management roles earlier in her career, all within the consumer products divisions. But now, Laura is the Vice President of Consumer Products for Viz Media, overseeing its consumer products domestic and international licensing, as well as collaborations, promotions, and location-based entertainment businesses. If you haven't heard of Viz Media, Viz is a San Francisco-based company that is a leading manga publisher in the Americas and a distributor of top anime titles like Naruto, Hunter Hunter, and dozens more. But wait, there's more. Laura is also very invested in supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is amazing. She is a member of Chief, an organization focused on connecting and supporting women executive leaders. She also served as a, as a board member for the East West Players, an Asian American theater organization, which produces works and educational programs that give a voice to the Asian Pacific American experience today. And lastly, she was a founding member of Mattel's Asian Diversity Exchange Group. Laura, I'm almost out of breath. What a resume. You are honestly incredible, and I'm excited to speak with you today, learn more about your career, your philanthropy, and Viz Media on the BrainBase podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Greg. Great to be here. Now, you've had so many amazing jobs at all of those companies I listed before. I think most people could only really dream of working at them, especially in the roles you've had, which have all been so amazing too. I'm very curious as you kind of climb the ranks, you know, what have been some key partnerships and even some key philosophies, perhaps not only to your work, the actual work, but maybe the relationships you formed that have really propelled your career to where you are now? Sure. And, and, and you're right. I, I'm so fortunate uh, that I even stepped into the licensing industry. I didn't even really know what it was when I took my first job 25 years ago at Guest Jeans. And, uh, you know, many people say, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, right. um, a designer, a fashion designer, something like that. Nobody says I, I want to work licensing in licensing, <laughs> right? I want to be in consumer products right. licensing. Even when I talk to people and they say, what do you do? I go, I'm, I'm in licensing. And I see their eyes just turn dark. <laughs> like, I'm sorry I asked about this. And so I, I've now learned to say, I do merchandise. I work for, you know, I work in the anime industry or right. I work for Hello Kitty. And then people go, really, what do you do? And then I say, I make all this great merch and it's so exciting. And I really think we need to do a better job as an industry on getting and recruiting more talent mm -hmm. because this is truly, it is such a fun industry to be in. I love coming into work every day. I feel like I've lived my dream job time after time after time. 
And so where, you know, wherever I am, I truly love what I do. It's because this industry is so fun. And also just in terms of philosophies, and I think the most important philosophy for me is that jobs come and go and companies come and go, but your reputation does not. You protect it, you earn it, and you always try to do the right thing. You want to be kind, be fair, be ethical, do your best, because this industry, just like anything else, is it's all built on connections. Mm -hmm. It's built on connecting with people. It's having them understand how you work, knowing that they can trust you as a good partner. And so that's really, really important to me. Aside from that, there are a lot of other philosophies. And another important one for me is to never stop learning and always approach every interaction with anybody as a chance to learn something new, to gain a new perspective, to listen with both ears instead of doing talking, which I do a lot of talking, but I always have to remind myself to listen. And whomever you're speaking with has a very unique and important point of view. Also to raise your hand for any challenge that comes your way as a way to continue the learning process. I've been in this business for 25 years, but I learn something new every day and the world changes every day. So you always have to keep evolving and moving with that. On a leadership side, I would say having gratitude is really important, not only for leadership, but for in everything that you do is to be grateful for everything that you have been given up to this point. And that yes, every, every one of us works hard, but also other people have helped us along the way, you know, and that is really, really important. I, I attribute pretty much every single one of my jobs to somebody else that has helped me, to a, a valuable connection, a colleague, a peer, somebody that I've worked with that has made a recommendation for me or that I've worked with before. So to always be very grateful for what you have, encouraging curiosity, not only with yourself, but with your teams mm -hmm. to make sure that they feel like you have created a safe space for them to speak up. Even if it doesn't align with what you were saying, that's when you get the best work is when we've all feel comfortable enough to speak up and represent a different point of view. Also, empathy is really, really important, especially now, especially anytime. Right. Um, because beyond the companies we work with, beyond the titles and the work that we do, we are people. And we have to remember that people come first. And that is so important, more important than ever, especially in the last two years, being through an unprecedented time, an unimaginable time where people needed to take, you know, maybe a different approach to things. The personal challenges really came into view in a way that they had never done before. And so empathy is really, really important. And along with that is using your voice. We talked about this to really make an impact and to not be afraid to stand up for yourself, stand up for others. But again, this all comes from, from being in a safe space. And the last thing is, it's the most important thing is to have fun with what you do. We are in an incredibly fun industry. We make cool product all the time. So we have to remember, even though we work super, super hard, that we have to celebrate the wins and also have fun with every day. That's great. I'm sure you have a big personal merch closet um, somewhere at home with all the, you know, the samples and the products you've worked on. Have there been any licensing deals that you worked on that have been most memorable to you? 
Yeah, there are so many deals over all of the time. But what I would say, there's a couple that really stand out to me. And these are more recent, but my time at National Geographic. So we did a partnership at National Geographic with Mattel. And we launched a range of National Geographic Barbie dolls. Oh my God, and, sounds cool. And this featured... But, and this was a little bit of an expected partnership. And that's what's what's so fun about it when it's like Barbie and Nat Geo, how do the two collide? <laughs> so we cast Barbie in different roles in science and exploration, showing, showing that there are a lot of different career opportunities that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of. And so this featured Barbie as a wildlife conservationist, an astrophysicist, a photojournalist, polar marine biologist, dolls. That again, when I was a kid, you know, you, you kind of thought there's a teacher role, there's a doctor role, but I had no idea that there was, you know, that photojournalist or, or a wildlife conservationist wasn't even an option. It really wasn't anything that we had known about. And it's all about creating more awareness and more acceptance that you can be whatever you want to be. I also particularly loved this partnership because again, I had many years with Mattel. So it was mm -hmm. great to be able to work with that fantastic company and brand again. But we also, to make sure that we were creating an authentic experience, we tapped a panel of experts from the field, including Sylvia Earle, a marine biologist, Susan Goldberg, the editor-in-chief for National Geographic, and actually an astrophysicist. This line also featured very diverse ethnicities and different body types. And again, just showing that, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. And so that's one that I'm really, really proud proud of. Another um, partnership also from National Geographic that I loved was um, working on a curated program that was called Planet or Plastic. This program worked with a very curated line of partnerships, and it was centered around creating more awareness around the plastics crisis. So what we did is my team worked with like-minded companies that wanted to create solutions for our waste problem and particularly our over-dependence on the use of single-use plastics. And so we worked with brands like Element Skateboards, Swell Water Bottles, Feed Project, and the North Face, and they all created a range of sustainable products like glass straws or sustainable food wrap or reusable totes or t-shirts that were made from plastic water bottles as a way to create more awareness and to think about our impact on the environment. And the reason that I love this so much, and this really was kind of a, a turning point for me in my thinking, was that we love this industry. Mm -hmm. We love to sell merchandise. We sell merchandise that is a sign that we are doing something right, but we also really need to be very mindful of our impact on the environment. Right. And so how can we you know, do our job to help contribute to a solution, not contribute to the problem. Right. And so that's been a principle that I've applied. And you know, whenever I'm speaking to my partners, they know that I'm always gonna ask them, what's your sustainability angle? Mm -hmm. um, how are you holding your business accountable for your carbon footprint? How are you being thoughtful about your impact on the environment? And the companies that have a thoughtful plan and are you know, taking steps to address this, they will have the advantage as the company that we would work with. Right. Um, and also on that National Geographic Barbie doll, um, you know, diversity and inclusion angle that I mentioned, that's also another 
hugely important advantage to companies, companies that have a position on DEI within their company, mm-hmm. because they're representing very important, you know, very important roles and creating more awareness to the audience that we really need to get out there. They're perhaps addressing new audiences, new customers that we haven't been able to reach. And we really want to embrace our fans in an authentic way. Right. I mean, 25 years ago, when you first started out, were people asking these questions? Was sustainability even being discussed with diversity and inclusion initiatives? I'm curious how the industry has changed from then until now, because even with your position at National Geographic, I just can't imagine people thinking about the type of partnerships you worked on 25 years ago. I just, you know, I can't picture it. I think it's probably something that's been more recent in the past 10 years, I'd say. Um, But I'm curious your take on if those things you were just talking about, if that's really been the key difference between then and now. Well, 25 years ago, we were in a completely different world. And just think back 25 years ago, we have made incredible strides in advance and in, and in advancements within DEI and sustainability mm-hmm. in the last five and 10 years. But very few people were thinking about it 25 years ago. But you also have to think about the world, you know, in general, 25 years ago, you know, where e-commerce was kind of an emerging Nothing, thing right. at the time. Cell phones were just phones, Mm -hmm. mobile phones. They were not smartphones. They didn't have the power to do what they can do now. Social media was in its nascent phases. And there were sites like Friendster and MySpace that hadn't even been created 25 years ago, uh, let alone Facebook. So that would all happen in the early 2000s. So 25 years ago, it was an entirely different playing field. You know, things were wildly different. And so... The world has changed. Licensing has to change along with it. But there are things, you know, licensing perhaps hasn't changed quite as much as the world has changed. The functional roles are still the same. But I think it's all the way that it just creates opportunities. And it's the way that we approach this, the the way that we're licensing. Content and content delivery has changed. Again, like the Netflixes and streaming content, that wasn't a thing 25 years ago. So, you know, the content uh, distribution has changed. Celebrities can come from anywhere now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're just seeing massive, massive changes. And the ways that licensing has responded to those changes, I think we've seen brick and mortar has been incredibly challenged. There's been a lot of attrition. There's been a ton of acquisitions. We see the big brands and the big companies continuing through acquisition to get bigger and bigger. That includes licensees, licensors, Mm -hmm. retailers, and brands. Businesses are becoming more global because there is more accessibility to that. And then on the flip side, we're also seeing smaller companies. We have a chance for, you know, a, you know, an entrepreneur to really get access through e-commerce. You know, anybody can set up their own site. Now they can, anyone can create their own line of merchandise. Right. And on demand, you don't even need to have, you know, all of that. You don't even, you can do it yourself. So, you know, it has changed so much in terms of the overall landscape for licensing and on the sustainability and the DEI side, as I've said, we've thankfully we've made so many strides just in the last few years. It's been a rough few years. 
And there have been a number of incidents that have brought to light and really made DEI and sustainability front and center. And these are areas that we need to do more in on the consumer product side. Um, and we're starting to see that big brands, which are high profile, are doing more, but we need to extend that all the way through all of the ranks of licensing and consumer products. Everybody really needs to be thinking about the future and the planet that we're leaving to the future generations. Right. And I think what's interesting is Netflix is really all about disrupting the status quo. I think with the technology and now the way we consume content, did that carry over to how you kind of run a licensing business at Netflix and that same kind of disruptive mentality? Did you kind of there look to kind of do anything differently than what's been done before, or maybe even at some of the other companies you've worked at? Has it really been about, you know, we're going to do things differently. We're going to be kind of a, a leader in this new way of, you know, running a licensing business, working with their licensees, et cetera. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that Netflix in particular was always very focused on, we don't, you know, we don't necessarily want to use the playbook that mm -hmm. has already been carved out. You know, how can we show up differently? How can we do something that really, you know, resonates with fans? And so they are a disruptor and they are continuing to do that. I, but I think that most every licensor that I've worked with also wants to do things differently. And the way that uh, a brand can be successful is by understanding the audience and finding a way to truly connect with them through the DNA of their own brand. Every brand will show up differently. So whether you're working on a money heist or a National Geographic or a Hello Kitty, you know, again, all brands that I work with, but, you know, trying to find the the true connection and the authentic connection and what makes sense for this brand. How do you extend this brand? Awesome. And something like Money Heist is obviously very international, um, very international TV show, major global audience. You've worked on both domestic and international. You know, what would you say is maybe the biggest difference between the two? Are there any kind of challenges that international has presented? Maybe that domestic hasn't. I'm curious if there's, you know, what's kind of your take on both of them and licensing and if any has kind of, you know, been different or provided a challenge compared to the other. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question. And, you know, and I also have to just talk about, you know, the Netflix effect and the accessibility that it, that right. it creates, right? So now there is a much broader reach and an opportunity for international titles to become global hits. So Money Heist, which is, a, it's one of your favorites. It's one of my yeah, favorites. Yeah, and Squid Game now too. I was just going to say Squid Game, Game is like the new <laughs> one that everyone's it. talking about, you know, and, and now it's discoverability is there because you just get to see what are the top 10 that are happening. Yeah, and then you go, I got to watch this. Why has Squid Game been the number one for this number of weeks? I watched it a couple of weeks ago, of course, loved it. But it's, you know, being able to, be connected with the right content. And so, you know, Netflix, whether it's through their algorithm and they know that, hey, you like anime, you're going to love this title. If you like right. Naruto, you're going to love Hunter Hunter. But also just being able to say, but on top of it, to be part of the, the discourse, here's the top 10, you know, just take and you, maybe you and your favorite it. celebrity could both have the same top 10. <laughs> and it's like you're consuming the same content as your favorite celebrities. You're kind of like treated the same by 
the algorithm or whatever you want to call it that Netflix uses. I think that also kind of applies to the accessibility is you're just, everyone's on the same level playing field with, you know, what their recommendations are and how they're consuming it. Yeah. And it kind of, it, it brings everyone together in one community. Yeah. And, and I think that what's, what's fantastic about it is that we're not so different, you know, no. to, you know, we, we see, we have more in common than things that differentiate us and we love good stories, right? We love to cheer for the underdog, you know, and so we are really embracing stories that are being told from around the world. Great stories can come from anywhere. And I think that's something that Netflix is showing us. And it's so exciting also with Netflix, I mean, I have to uh, thank Netflix for some of the popularity for anime, along with Hulu and Amazon Prime mm -hmm. and all of these other streaming providers that are offering anime. But Netflix, because it's got such a massive subscriber base, a year ago, they actually released a statement that said that of their 200, approximately 200 million household subscribers globally, at least 50% of those subscribers had tuned into at least, at least one anime show really? in the past year, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I actually read that quote a couple of times because Netflix really heavily guards its content and its, and its data, but they did share that fact, but it was really eye-opening to say, wow, anime has really hit a, it's, it's turned into a global phenomenon. It's not something that's niche. It's not just in specific markets. It is now everywhere and everyone has access mm -hmm. to this anime now. You don't have to have an anime subscription, but now many people love it so much that they get their own anime subscriptions, but you can get access to it. You can right. easily watch it anywhere. And so that's what's been amazing. Right. And also you had also asked earlier a little bit about how you know, international licensing is different from domestic mm -hmm. licensing. And what what I've learned is that, again, it's it's understanding the market that is so, so critical is like you can't manage from the armchair. You really need to have people in the field. You need to have experts in the field. You need to have people that are the consumers within that particular market because every market is so unique. You have to understand the retailers, know the marketplace, know the target consumer. You have to have meaningful connections with these licensees and the retailers that are existing again, because this business is based on relationships and connections. For me, I've experienced the most success with markets like Brazil, the UK, Ireland, Spain, Italy, France, Germany, Nordics, and um, those are all territories that do really do embrace U.S. and Japanese content. And as I mentioned, with the whole anime phenomenon that's right. going on right now, Viz has really been focused on the U.S. market for the most part. And only just in the last couple of years, we've really extended our reach out into North and South America. Mm -hmm. So we're building our business in Canada now. Brazil and Mexico are on fire. And other parts of Latin America are also really creating a huge demand for the anime title. So that's exciting to see. And in addition to that, we're also starting to build our reach and to gain the rights for Europe and Oceania for some of our titles as well. So we will be continuing to build our international business for anime. Right. Has the pandemic sped that process up for you since people are kind of consuming more content now than ever, I think due to the pandemic? Uh, I'm curious if that's kind of sped up your timelines at all. Well, it certainly has increased the demand and the appetite for 
anime mm -hmm. because so many people were stuck at home with a lot of extra time. And wanting they to were escape able to, too. Yeah, and escape from and anime the provides that sense of escapism. It's so true. And so what we saw is Netflix, for example, people were watching more Netflix and Netflix makes it really easy because all you have to do is you pick a title in anime that you want to see. And after that, you'll keep getting fed yep. more titles until your whole recommended list is <laughs> all anime. anime. <laughs> and so what we saw with titles like Naruto is our mainstay. That's like one of the most, if not the most successful anime brand out there right now. And, you know, we have the privilege of representing that property. But we've also seen that all of our portfolio has grown in that time. So Hunter Hunter just made its debut on Netflix in 2019. And we just saw tremendous growth, like a thousand percent growth from 19 to 20. We're wow. continuing on a huge trajectory of growth. Inuyasha is another one. We're seeing, you know, five, six times increases year over year for some of these titles. So truly the portfolio, which you know, Naruto leads the charge, but we have over 30 titles in our portfolio. They're all growing and the appetite is growing because yeah, people wanted that escape. And I think anime can be a little daunting. People don't know where to start or what these titles are, but, you know, in starting with one and also because of TikTok and Discord mm -hmm. and all of the chatter on social media, people are talking about all of these other great shows to watch. So they're discovering even more obscure titles and our retailers are following suit and saying okay we're doing so well with this title and this title what else do you have and mm -hmm. so that's really really exciting for us too yeah i just stumbled upon my first i guess true anime netflix binge with this show called death note i don't know if you've heard of it but i'm curious to see what will now be recommended to me via the algorithm once i finish watching death note so Greg, not only have I heard of it, it's in our portfolio. Oh, amazing. So I didn't I even know wait. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the titles that also has just like skyrocketed up. People are discovering Death Note and it is it's a great so good. title. Yeah, yeah. Like so we got to talk about it. With how dark it is. It's, it, <laughs> yeah, well, it's the story of a high schooler who gets a notebook that has a power to kill people by writing their na a name right. in a notebook. And 40 seconds later, that person is They're dead. Dead. <laughs> but it's fascinating, right? And the characters are so mm. interesting. But it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it, what, what's so awesome about anime is there's something for everyone, right? You don't, you know, you can say, I love anime. Well, great. You know, it's like the same thing as saying, I love movies, right? right? Oh, really? Do you like horror? Do you like rom-com? Do you like, you know, thrillers? You know, there's zombie movies, whatever you want, vampire movies. We literally have every genre of anime. And so there's something for every, every person. So just let me know if you need some recos on the watch list. Right. I'm, I'm curious them. if you have, I don't know if you've even made a Shinigami toy or if you have a sketch ready to go just in case Death Note explodes. Do you have a draft of, you know, potential licensing or merchandise you can develop in case something does blow up or there's a, a you kind of sense an appetite for it? We already have a Ryuk figure. Oh, so really? yeah, okay. it's, it's already there. We, yeah, we have it. Although it's primarily because it's very dark. We are, it is more in the specialty distribution, right, but we sure. have collectibles. We have, you, you can find Death Note merchandise in Spencer's and in oh, Topic and Box Lunch, for example. I'm going to go take a look next time I'm near one of those stores. I'm going to go pop in and see what I could find. 
Awesome. I love that you watched Death Note. Yes, it's literally brand new as of like two weeks ago, I started watching it. So <laughs> it's I a good I'm, one. I think I'm like 10 episodes in, but I'll keep you updated on my progress. Yeah, I can't uh, wait to hear. Yes, but my last question is, as we head into 2022, are there any new partnerships you're excited to be working on? Anything with Chief or any of your other philanthropic endeavors you're super excited about? We kind of would love to hear about what is going to get you excited when you wake up in the morning as January rolls around. Greg, you know, I can't share the partnerships that we you have. You know what? I try. I try. <laughs> you know, I might as well ask. There's, there are some, there's some good ones. And I think that our fans are going to be really, really excited to see what we have in store for next year. I can't say specifically what they are, but, you know, think there's going to be some cool streetwear collabs, some okay. luxury brand collabs, athletic brands, more esports. So we've been dabbling in oh, esports. Cool. You're going to see more esports. I'm excited for, 2022 because we have Naruto's 20th anniversary for the anime launch. So that's exciting. We also have a, a host of other celebrations, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Add that to your watch list. That's okay. a great one. Okay. We're calling next year the year of JoJo's because this brand has been absolutely on fire. There's lots of exciting things happening there. Um, Bleach, which is one of the big three in anime and manga. We celebrate the 20th anniversary actually just starting in August of la this past this year. And we will have new anime coming out after 10 years. It's finally coming back. So people are super, super excited. So we've got lots of awesome things and new titles in anime that we're also continuing to add to our portfolio. So, so much good stuff. Awesome. And I don't want to skip over Chief because I think that's really important. So Anything more you could also share with Chief with our audience, I think that would be great as well. Oh, yeah. So I uh, recently joined Chief actually this year, and it's an incredible network of female uh, executives. And the first thing is that you are assigned to a core group. And the core group is maybe about eight people or so you meet monthly. It's almost like a support group, but it's also a chance to connect, network, talk through some challenges that you may be having, have others provide feedback and insights. Also make sure that you're making time for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it has been a really amazing opportunity and I'm so thrilled to be a part of this group. They also do uh, some incredible webinars there every week. There are amazing panels and webinars around a variety of different topics. They also have, you know, groups that are focused on various affinity groups. So, and, and various ethnicity groups. Mm -hmm. And so it's just great to be able to connect with so many other women within leadership positions that are helping one another and supporting one another, acting as mentors and acting as mentees as well. Awesome. Well, Chief sounds incredible. You're incredible. This was a great conversation. I, I really, really enjoyed it. If people want to reach you or they want to work with Viz, perhaps this conversation sparked an idea. What is the best way they can reach you or your team? The best way is LinkedIn. So I would just say, look up my name in this podcast because it's very long and that's probably the best way to connect or my email is my first name last name laura takaragawa at biz.com perfect well once again thank you so much laura this was an incredible conversation and interview definitely i'll have to say one of my favorites um, especially diving diving into anime which i don't think i've discussed yet on this podcast 
So I'm super excited to, to listen back and hopefully this can spread far and wide. And I thank you to our audience for listening in. If you want to learn more about BrainBase, head to brainbase.com. You can reach me at greg at brainbase.com with any questions and I look forward to hopefully you listening to the next episode and future episodes as well. Thank Thanks, you again, Greg. Laura. This was great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This is okay. fun. Thanks. Bye.